We are in Leviticus. Uh, we're going to be doing 8 and 9 today, and I strongly encourage you to open Scripture so that you can follow along as we uh, go through this. There's a pew Bible in front of you. If you look at page 86. And as we get into this, I want you to hang in there until the end. Okay, the payoff comes at the end for this message. Uh, you know, many people, when they go to church, they want sermons or pastors deliver sermons that are designed to, you know, speak to people's felt needs. You know, what is their, their most pressing concern at the moment? And the problem is that oftentimes our surface needs are not exactly the same, are not the same as our, our deep needs, our, our real needs. I mean, sometimes the, the needs that people feel the most, it might be just you're thinking, well, what, what should we make for, for lunch? Okay, that's something, but that's not your, that might be on the surface, but that's not your, your deepest need that you have. And sometimes people look at uh, passages in, in the Bible and they, they find things boring. And I need to tell you that uh, when people find the Bible boring, it is not because the Bible is boring. Because the Bible is, is not boring, it isn't. Uh, the problem, which is at the heart for all of us, is that we find God boring. And he is not. And you'll see that he is not. And you know, that's part of our actual deepest need, is that our hearts are not captured by the Lord the way that they should be. We are, we are not impressed by him. We are... are deepest need, part of it is that we view God as boring. We view God as just as common, as, as ordinary. A God that can be treated just casually or treated not at all. Most people do not believe in a God that they tremble before. They believe in, in some kind of God that is not worthy of inspiring fear and awe and amazement. But the true God is holy and awesome and inspiring. And so in this message, we're, we're praying that God would illuminate this to us uh, so that, because this, these chapters are a great antidote to that way of thinking. But you need to stick with us. You need to engage your mind and your thinking and your uh, God-given imagination to picture everything that is going on and hang in there. And here's the thing, when you have your vision of who God is enlarged, you will find that that does have payoff for your other needs in life. Your problems that you have with your marriage, with, with your children, choices that you're making with, with jobs and spending, and all these different things, all of that at the core, when you have this expanded view of who God is, it affects everything else. So let's look at this. We've been in the book of Leviticus. So we're going back in time, about three and a half thousand years into the desert in uh, Sinai here. And in chapter 8 that we're going to be looking at, we're going to see that Aaron and his sons are ordained as priests. So God is, uh, through Moses, led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's told them how to construct the, the tabernacle uh, this portable uh, place where they're supposed to meet with the Lord and offer these sacrifices. Last week, we talked about 
five different types of sacrifices that the Lord prescribed for them to give and what each of them meant. So, but they don't have priests now. And the priests are the ones that need to offer up the sacrifices on behalf of people. So in order to get priests, Aaron and his sons are going to be ordained and, and commissioned uh, by Moses, by the instruction of the Lord, as these priests. Uh, there were instructions on how to do this given way back in Exodus 29. And so as we see this, one thing that you could note is just how careful Moses is being to f- follow what God has told him to do. And that's one of the key things that it's trying to get across to us is how important it is to follow God's instructions very carefully. So uh, let's look at Leviticus 8 and start reading and working through it. Uh, There will be quite a bit of text that we're going to be going uh, through. Not every word, but uh, quite a bit of it. So chapter 1, or or verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So even in there, two things to notice. Again, we see this is the Lord giving these instructions. This isn't Moses saying, hmm, what would be a cool ceremony that we could do? What could we make up that would really, you know, convey the right message? No, the Lord is speaking this. He's giving it to Moses. Moses is carefully carrying out the instructions that the Lord has given to him. So we see that that's really important. It talks about this happening um, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so in the the tabernacle, the actual uh, tent of meeting with is the, the, you have the holy place that's inside and then you have this curtained area. When it talks about the congregation, uh, it's probably at least referring to the, uh, the elders and the leaders of Israel. Uh, you wouldn't be able to fit you know, the whole nation of Israel inside the curtain area, but you at least have uh, the, the leaders that are in there. And I would have to imagine, you know, if, if you imagine this in your mind and out with the, you know, the desert and, uh, you know, uh, everything behind it, that you just have, you know, thousands upon thousands gathered around, camped, and probably, you know, getting close to the curtains to what is going to happen with this, this important thing that's going on. So this is an exciting, important thing that's, that, it, that is going on here is Moses calls people together. And we see part of this process. It starts with uh, them being called. And this is important. Nobody takes on being a priest on their own. We're going to see this is not something that you can just decide, you know, I think, what do I want to do when I grow up? I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a, an Old Testament priest. You know, this wasn't what, uh, you know, Aaron went. He didn't go see the guidance counselor and fill out an aptitude test and it suggested that this is what he would do. But it was his decision. Uh, this is something God had to call the priest. You didn't decide this. Not everyone was going to get this specific call. This was for, for him and for his sons. So first he was called. Verse 5, And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons. So they were called, and then they were washed, and washed them with water, symbolizing purification. You know, every time that the priests would minister in an official way, uh, in the tabernacle, they had to wash. 
And the Bible oftentimes put it together, clean hands and a pure heart. That physical being cleanness was, was symbolic also of their desire to be inwardly pure and holy to God. Because uh, God is a God that is holy and, and pure. And those who come before him, are, they were expected to be that way as well. So they were called, then they were washed with water, then they were clothed. Verse 7, And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with a robe and clothed him with a robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with a band. So it's describing uh, the priest's clothing. And back in Exodus 28 and uh, 39, uh, last summer, Pastor Nick gave a a sermon that dealt with part of that and uh, the instructions uh, for the priests and how they were to be uh, clothed. And here, uh, the the things had been uh, built or had been put together and and sewn and and created for them, but they needed to be clothed. So they've been... uh, They've been called, they've been washed, and now they are, they are clothed with this. And it says, And he placed the breastplate on him, and in the breastplate he put the Urim and the Thummim. So the high priest himself, he would have this breastplate with these 12 jewels representing the 12 tribes of uh, Israel. And then there were these two mysterious things, the Urim and the Thummim, which were these two other stones that... Uh, were attached in uh, some way uh, to the priest's garment or to the breastplate. And other times in Scripture, it talks about them using these stones to inquire of the Lord. So there was some kind of uh, prophetic communication capabilities that these had. And there's theories of actually how this worked. And it could be that the priest would ask questions of the Lord and possibly one would glow for, for yes, and maybe the other would glow for, for no. Uh, we don't know exactly how it works. It's, it's kind of a mysterious thing. Uh, but it talks about them a few times in Scripture. I mean, where are these things now? That's a, that's a question for Indiana Jones. Okay? So maybe they'll figure that out in a new movie or something. So they put this on, on Aaron, especially. Uh, his sons get special garments, but Aaron gets, he's the, the, the high priest, so he gets the most of it. And then it says, And he set the turban on his head, And on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. So on his head, he's wearing this turban. And in Exodus, it tells us there was a golden plate on it. And on the plate was was, uh, engraved the words, holy to the Lord. So the high priest, this is not a common person. It's part of what this, this, this dress, this uniform uh, is meant to communicate, that he is given a very special set-apart role. That's what holy means. It, it's set-apart. He's not, he not common like everyone else. He has a special duty. And this golden plate that he's, he's wearing on his hat here is to be a reminder of that, that he is holy unto the Lord. So he's been called, he's been washed, he's been, he's been clothed. And then, uh, as we go on, we see everything is anointed, that is uh, dedicated to the Lord. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. So he's going around to all the different things in the tabernacle. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times. 
and anointed the altar and all its utensils and all the basin and its stands to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats, so now the sons get clothed, and tied sashes around their waists and uh, bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So he's preparing the priests, and it's quite the elaborate process, but it's not done uh, because there are also now offerings, sacrifices that are to be made. And we're going to see there, there were five different sacrifices last week that we talked about. And in this, you're going to see, um, you're going to see several of these. Actually, all of the sacrifices uh, get mentioned ex- except for the guilt offering, which was actually had a very specific kind of narrow uh, purpose. So we're going to keep reading because we want to, remember, we want to use our imagination. What was this like? They're being clothed and there's oil, but now this gets to where this is not our normal world. Most of us aren't seeing animals sacrificed and, and smelling the scent of, uh, of, of burning flesh of animals, but this, this is what's going on in a, in a big way here and part of what it was going to take to anoint them as priests. So, keep reading. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Remember, that was to identify with it. And he killed it. And then Moses took the blood and with his fingers and put it on the horns of the altar. So on the altar, there were these kind of uh, metal horns, and they put the blood there. Moses is temporarily acting as a priest. Because there was not, Aaron and them, they weren't priests yet. So Moses had to temporarily fulfill this role until Aaron and his sons could take over as the, uh, the Aaronic priesthood. And they would, his family line would be the priests kind of after that. Um, and with his fingers, he put it on the horns of the altar and around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And so this is a sin offering. It was used to, to purify things uh, from special sins. And he took all of the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the, the liver and the two kidneys with their fat. And Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung, he burned up with the fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses threw the blood against the side of the altar. And he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. And he washed the entrails and the legs with water. And Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses so again, this was the burnt offering. And the burnt offering, uh, there wasn't some that was eaten by the priests or the people. Uh, there was nothing that was taken outside. This one, the whole thing was burnt up. It was a total dedication uh, to the Lord here. And so that's uh, what was going on with, with, this, uh, with this ram. And we see again, it uses this phrase, with a, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You know, after... Uh, Last week's message, I was talking with, with Gary Otto, 
And uh, he said, you know, I'm at the, at the farm. Uh, we have to incinerate, uh, you know, a, uh, animals. And it's, it's, not a, it's not actually a pleasing aroma. And we have to remember when we talk about this, it's not because uh, there was something about these scent molecules that pleased the Lord. What this was about was the fact that, that through this, God's, God's wrath against sin was taken away. That because the guilt had been transferred to this sacrifice, that God could look on with favor those that were actually sinners. Because the guilt and the sin had been transferred to a substitute that died in, in the place of those sinners. And therefore, that's why it's pleasing to the Lord that he, even though he maintains and he still is a holy God, he can have fellowship with us because of the sacrifice. So, there's that. Verse 22, he presented the other ram, a ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their head on the ram, head of the ram and he killed it. And he took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the... So, okay, now it's like, wait a second, what's going on here? So he kills it, and now what he's doing here, he takes some of it, and he says he puts it on, part, on three places, on the lobe of his right ear, okay, so uh, blood from this, this ram, and he puts uh, some on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot, okay? Now, if that seems strange and different from your world and what you experience, yes, this is a, this is a different thing. And we have to think, what is, the, what is the meaning of this? That he was anointed by blood. That mean, this may seem very distasteful to us, doesn't it? But there had to be a purpose uh, to this. And then he said he did the same for his sons. Verse 24, he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood of the lobes on the, the right ear and the thumbs and the right hand of the big toes of their right feet. And then Moses threw out the blood against the side of the altar. And then he presents uh, the rest of, uh, the rest of that, the sacrifice. And um, think about, I think what, part of what is going on here is it is symbolizing, I think, that, that these high priests are dedicated to the Lord um, head to toe. I think that would be a simple way of thinking about it. You know, they viewed the, the right side as the dominant side and kind of the, the more important, you know, side that stood for everything else. So, sorry, lefties. Uh, but, I mean, that's, that's part of what they viewed it. So, it was symbolic of his entire being, that they were head to toe, they were dedicated to the Lord for this service. And set apart, not just with oil, but with the, the blood of a sacrifice, so that they could be priests in, in this role. Now, for the sake of time, um, I won't read the rest of uh, the sacrifices and everything uh, that they did, but their sacrifices and presented to the Lord, and this is part of their ordination, their consecration uh, before the Lord. And down, down in verse 33, it says, And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days. So even after all of this was done, they still had to wait seven days. For it will take seven days to ordain you. It was a long, it was a process. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. 
So they remain in the curtained off uh, enclosure for seven days. I think there's a lesson for that too. You know, sometimes we think we, we just want everything now and we just want to be able to jump into everything, but sometimes things do take time before we're ready for it. And sometimes just the, the Lord's process of working in and through us takes time. You know, even after Paul was saved, you know, it was, there was time and a period before he was used in his ministry. Gordon Wenham, in his commentary in Leviticus, writes this. He says, A man may defile himself in a moment, but sanctification and the removal of uncleanliness is generally a slower process. You know, we can make a sin in a moment that, that can defile us and get us into all kinds of trouble. You know, and the Lord can forgive us and forgive us quickly. But sometimes the process of, of restoring us, of, of cleansing us, of getting us back on our feet, it, it's a process. And sometimes we need to hang in there as the, as the Lord is working on us. In fact, none of us are going to be completely cleansed of sin in this life. It's a day-in, day-out process. And that's why we stay in God's Word. That's why we gather together as a church. Part of the reason, not the whole thing, is because God is not done with any of us. If you are the Christian that is the furthest along of anyone here, God is still not done with you. And you're not even close to what you will be in glory. But God is active and he is, he is at work. So that's uh, chapter 8. So getting them ready. And now they're, they're ready. And after the, this week of uh, seven days on the eighth day, now they're finally ready that uh, Aaron and his sons can offer their first sacrifices. And we're going to see that there's two sets of sacrifices. The first set is, is, again, for them specifically. They're offering sacrifices for themselves. And then there's going to be sacrifices then they make for the people. Okay, so looking at uh, verse, um, getting into chapter uh, 9, verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and all the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourselves a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear before you. Let me stop there for a moment. So there you see four of the, the five offerings that are being commanded to give, and initially for themselves. And notice in verse 2, what specifically is Aaron commanded to offer up for himself? It's a bull calf. Do you remember anything about Aaron and a, and a calf from Exodus? Do you think that's on purpose? Because it wasn't the ordinary thing that was, always, that was specified here. I think the Lord is saying something. He's saying, Aaron, you sinned. You sinned big time. And you listened to the people and you made that golden calf. And, I was, and God was very, very angry about that. But I think God is telling him, <laughs> this would have been a painful reminder, but also something that as he's giving up the, this, this calf, as instructed by the Lord, I think God is saying to Aaron, yeah, you sinned, but I'm still going to use you. I'm still, I'm still calling you. 
And your sin is going to be paid for by, by, by this calf, this bull calf, this, this substitute that is going to be uh, offered, that you are going to offer. You know, sometimes, you know, we sin and we think, well, I'm just done. You know, I'm not going to be used by the Lord. There's not, I can't tell people about Christ. I can't serve him. I can't do this or that. But, you know, your sin does not mean that God is, is done with you. I think something we need to remember, though, on, on the other hand, is Aaron is, is able to do this. There's blood that has to be shed. God is still serious about this sin. So don't think, well, I sin. It's, it's not a big deal. God forgives. Hey, you know, I, I could be able to do whatever I want. And there might be some things that from a, a, both a spiritual and a, and a practical standpoint, that there might be some doors of ministry that, particular ones that are not open anymore. But God is, is still calling you to, to serve him. If you are here and you are a Christian, that is still your mission and purpose in life. And there has been a greater sacrifice that has been sacrificed for you to purify you and to put you back in the game. So don't you look at some sin that you have and sit out the rest of your life serving the Lord. You, know, you repent of that, you go to him, you claim the blood of Jesus Christ, and you get back in the game serving him in all the ways that he calls and tells you to do, fulfilling the Great Commission, helping to make disciples of Jesus Christ in this world. And it says in verse 4 and 6, it talks about that the Lord is going to appear that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. This is going to happen so that the glory of God will, will appear to them. As we keep uh, reading a little bit, and they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. And then it describes Aaron fulfilling this and and making these offerings, first for himself and then for the people. For the sake of time, you'll have to, to read the details on that on your own. But one thing that we need to stop and we need to consider. You know, as we ask God to, to show us Christ in this, Aaron is made the high priest, and his line will be the priests of, of the Old Testament, of this old covenant the, under the Mosaic law code. He didn't choose this for himself. God chose him and put him into this. And the book of Hebrews has something to tell us about this. You can keep your thumb in uh, Leviticus, but... But turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, if you would. If you're using a, a pew Bible, you can find it quickly on page 1003. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 5. So we connect Old Testament to New Testament. It says here, verse 1, For every high priest is chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. 
So for uh, Aaron and his priesthood, one of the first things we see is that uh, the function of priests is described here. They they're in be- go between between God and man. They offer sacrifices on behalf of men, on behalf of, of human beings. It says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward because he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he, this is talking about Aaron and those type of priests, is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So two other things we see. Aaron was a sinner. That's why he needed to offer sacrifices for himself before he could offer it for others. And we also see that Aaron and then his descendants were chosen by God for this. You know, if, if I was there in Old Testament times, it wouldn't be me. I would not qualify as a, uh, as, as a priest. So we see this, but then chapter 5 goes on and then talks about Christ. Verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he said in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this isn't referring to Christ coming into existence, but to him being anointed as, as a priest, as the Messiah. So looking at these three things in reverse order, Jesus is chosen by, by God the Father as our high priest. We don't have a priest like Aaron. We have Christ as our high priest. And then flip over to Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 23, a little more we can take a look at. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Aaron and his sons, they wouldn't live forever. They needed to be new ones. But he holds his priesthood permanently, Jesus, because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. And for it was fitting, it says that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He had no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the people. So Jesus, he did not need to offer sacrifice for his own sins because he didn't have any. He is a, a sinless Savior. That's why Aaron and his priesthood, although important, was never perfect. And it was never meant to be perfect. It was meant to point ahead to the ultimate high priest that would come. The one that comes without sin and can enter God's presence without needing for his own sins to be cleansed. And instead of a repeated sacrifice that Jesus acted on our behalf before God, this is what priests do, offering not something else, but himself. 
Jesus gave himself as the sacrifice, as this, this blood sacrifice. And it's one sacrifice for our sins. It goes on in Hebrews and says, And then for the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who had been made perfect forever. Jesus offers himself as our high priest. But then back in Leviticus, it's, it's not over because you have the, the great conclusion to all of this. And we see that what happens, the offerings are presented and they're laid on the altar and they're, they're going there. And then the Lord signifies that he has accepted these, these offerings. Chapter 9, verse 22. So everything is in place now. The offerings for the people have been made. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. So everyone's waiting. He blesses them. He comes down from the offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. Actually, the, uh, very, probably the uh, burnt offering was, was probably elevated. There was probably a mound or something. So he's coming down from this. And it says, And Moses went into the tent of meeting, and, when they, and Aaron went to the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. And then get this. And it says, The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So you see this glory. You see this visible manifestation of God's amazing glory that they've seen before in the pillar of fire and all these things. And it, it lights up and it is appearing to the people. I think of how amazing this would be. And then it goes on and says, And fire came out from before the Lord to where the, where the altar is. And it says, And consumed the burnt offerings and the pieces of fat on the altar. So then the fire comes out and it, it burns this all up. There's only a few times in Scripture where, where this happens. This wasn't an everyday type thing. This was maybe once in your lifetime, if, if ever. Uh, it happens at the birth of Samson in Judges 13 when David sacrifices uh, 1 Chronicles 21 to appease God's anger. Solomon's dedication of the temple and Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal. And here. This is not an unusual thing, but this is, is communicating that, that God is in this and he has accepted this. And look how the people respond to this. It says, okay, no one was bored, no one was, was nodding off at this point. Okay? Because fire is coming out from the it's laying up and then fire is coming. And it says, and when all the people saw it, they shouted, that's the first thing, like, oh, this, whoa, there's fire coming out. Yeah, they're, they're excited about this. And then I think it, they dawned on them that fire is coming out. And this was terrifying. This was, this was something that made them tremble. And they went from uh, be, be, be shouting and with excitement to, to trembling. And it says they shouted and they fell on their faces before God. This is the holy God that we worship. Okay, this is the, the not boring God that exists. The God that if we saw, if we, if he, we, we see who he is, he, he fills our hearts with praise and he causes us to tremble and fall before him in a, in a healthy way. 
in, in the healthy fear of the Lord as we go before him. And that's how they responded. And they need to ask, you know, are, are you bored by God? You need a God that is holy. You need to see that the real God, this is how God is. For him to capture your heart, to capture your, your imagination. As you go through life and you think about God, and you think about him in every decision that you make, that is this amazing, inspiring catch a glimpse and you fall on your, your face in, in worship and in proper fear and, and reverence to him. We need to have the view of our God enlarged and enlarged. And as much as we're able to enlarge in our mind, it's, it's still not large enough for the God that is, that is actually there and actually exists. The real God is weighty. The real God, his existence mean, means everything to us. He is the God that ought to be the central focus and with the gravity of everything in our existence. And you need a mediator to approach a God like this. Because just as this fire consumed this offering, the God we worship is, is a consuming fire. And if we approach a God like this without, uh, without a proper mediator, I mean, that's like going into the, into the, the center of the sun with no heat shield, okay? I mean, it's not going to be good. We don't approach God casually. This is a God that to approach him, and he wants us to approach him, but there needs to be a mediator, a go-between, a right sacrifice to us, and an offering that is acceptable. This offering that they gave, this pointed ahead to the ultimate offering. And this shows that God accepted this. Because you can't just make up any offering you want. An offering that is not accepted by God is worthless. If people are making up their own religion, they're making up their own thing, I'll do this for God and he'll accept me because of my good works or this or that. Any offering that is not required by God and accepted by God is just worthless, wasting our time. We think about the one that has offered himself for us. Because what is more important than Aaron's offering being accepted is that Christ's sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross, was accepted for us by God. And we know that, the way God responded, and ultimately by the resurrection of Jesus Christ that validates Christ's offering is accepted. And it's accepted for anyone that puts their trust in Jesus Christ. God is able to, to completely accept and completely save those who draw near to this God through Jesus Christ. It's the same God, Old Testament, New Testament, today. And I couldn't help but think about this. You know, Aaron, they had blood put on their ear. They had blood put on their, their thumb. They had blood put on their, their, big, their toe. Okay, just this little symbolic. Christ on the cross, he was drenched with blood. His own sacrifice. And as they put the crown of thorns on him, his head, his ears would have been covered in his blood that was given for your sin. As they drove the nails into his hands, his hands and his, his thumbs, and the rest of them covered with, with blood. And as they put the nails into his feet, his toes, head to toe. Jesus Christ being given as a sacrifice to you. 
as amazing it is to think about this and picture this and think what would it be like and if the glory of the Lord appeared here and fire came out, what is really more amazing? Fire and glory from the Lord, which literally really happened, or Christian, that you can say in your heart that the Son of God loved you enough to be the sacrifice for you in your place. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what you've taught us. And as we think about just the, the, all the complexity that went into Aaron being ordained and their sacrifices and all of this, it teaches us about what a difficult thing it is to approach a holy and awesome God like you. And it makes us appreciate how so deeply that we have one that was the ultimate sacrifice that offered not bulls and other things and lambs, but was the Lamb of God, himself given our place with his blood to completely, once and for all, take away sin for anyone that will draw near to him. I pray that you would cause us all to expand our view of what you are like, God. I pray for anyone here that has not drawn close to God through Jesus Christ, that you would call them in their heart and that they would do so. Let us praise you with our whole lives. You are worth it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.